Hey y'all, in case you missed it and didn't know, episode 5, Ain't Nothing Like a Black Mama is out. We're joined by our lovely line sister KP and former grad advisor Dr. Suzanne Matthews, who spoke about their individual experiences with motherhood and how it has shaped their lives as black women. Now don't worry, you still have time to tune in, but get ready. This week's episode is full of pie, poetry, and gems you definitely don't want to miss. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Brown Coffee Black Tea. This is your girl, Sai. And this is your girl, Saria. And y'all, today we are so excited to have this special guest on the podcast today. This is a Black woman that Ty and I met back in college. And we've honestly just been so inspired and in awe with her over the course of the years. So welcome, Kiani. Thank you for having me. No, 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 no. It's <laughs> definitely our pleasure. Like, thank <laughs> you. Thank you for joining us. Um, I know a couple of weeks ago, Sabrina and I were just like, yo, it'll be so dope to have Kiani on. Um, so I'm so glad that you joined us. Um, so tell the people, you know, a little short bio about yourself, where you're from, what you do, your passions, side hustles, all of that. All right. So um, Kiani Taylor, um, I do poetry, I think. That's always where I start now um, when I tell people what I do, because I've learned that that's where all of my other passions have grown from. Um, I've been doing poetry since I was about 10 years old, and that grew into me loving music um, and the words within songs and things like that. And then um, I joined the band, so I started playing instruments, and so... My passions include music and poetry and art, really, of all forms. So um, projects right now, just my newest book that's on the way. And um, as far as side hustles go, I just sometimes I do poetry writing workshops with different um, organizations around here, around my city in Huntsville. And mm-hmm. um, I'm starting to, to do some uh like music camp type of things this summer where I'll go in and do like bucket drumming with kids and things like that to just oh, that's dope. <laughs> add to some, some programs and stuff. So, Well, thank you. And I guess you sort of talked um, or touched on it. I didn't know. I don't think unless you mentioned it at some point in college that you started writing poetry or just getting into poetry at 10 years old. Um, and that sort of leads into our first part of the conversation um just in wanting to know more about like when you first started writing and who or what really inspired you to start yeah so it's a funny story the first poem i remember writing um i had a friend i went to the summer camp i was about 10 and i had a friend she was really like nice nasty friend you know like y'all know the girls growing up (laughs) so I I don't know why I wanted to be her friend so bad I just did and we went to she was always doing mean stuff to me and then being nice to me and then doing mean stuff to me being nice to me so like the last straw for me we went to an amusement park um at the end of the summer camp and 
the whole day, she was like being so mean to me. Like she wouldn't ride any rides with me. And I just was like, my feelings were so hurt. And the last ride we went on, she wanted to ride with me. Like she just made it a point, like I'm riding with Kiani. So like, (laughs) y'all we're on this ride and I kid you not, this girl, like we go down the dip, like for the roller coaster and this girl bites Mm -hmm. me in the back. Like, Wait. chomps down Wait. on my flesh. Like, Wait a minute. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, what? I kid you not. Don't ask me why. But she bit me, <laughs> literally bit me in the back. And I had a, like, bite mark in my back. And... I just felt like, okay, like at 10 years old, I was like, if this is what people mean by stabbing you in the back, this is what that is. (laughs) So I wrote a poem about it, child. I went home and I said, girl, this girl right here, like I just talked about how she bit me in the back and it was like a knife and like, girl, I just went in. So that was the first poem I ever wrote. (laughs) Wow. Oh my gosh. I was not expecting that one. It's like, girl, if you're going to stab me in the back at 10, I don't want you. I I don't need you. At 10, sis, what do we really have to be mad at? Like, just what are we fighting people for? (laughs) (laughs) Who taught you that? Honestly. I don't know. But it's funny because I, um, after I wrote it, I went to my mom's room because I was really hurt. Like, I, I really took and still take my friendships very like seriously. And I was so hurt at 10. And I just remember like pouring my heart out to my mom and reciting the poem. And I just, I really remember her uh, response to me. Um, I felt like she, she related to me. You feel me? Like, it's like, wow. At 10 years old, I was able to write something that even my mom could relate to. And she wow. felt it. She was like, yeah. Kiani, I've had friends stab me in the back too. <laughs> and so that feeling that I got, like, okay, it was a release for me. You know, I was mm-hmm. able to express myself. And then on top of that, somebody else related to me, you know? So I mm-hmm. felt like it healed me at 10, you know, to be able to do that. And I just fell in mm-hmm. love with that, that process. Wow. So. It's so interesting to hear you say, like, even at 10 years old, you were able to feel like you were able to put your feelings into words, put them down on paper and to really allow those words to heal you. Um, And I think, you know, at 10, we're going through a lot of changes. So for me, it brings up the question, like what changes have you seen in yourself um, as your art has continued to progress over time? So from the age of 10 to now, you know, what have those changes looked like for you? So one thing I don't, I wouldn't say that back then I was a fan of poetry. That's the weird thing. Like I really didn't know much about it. I was kind of just writing. And so within myself, I had, I wanted this mystery in my writing. I wanted to like talk about things in a creative way to where people had to think. They had to think like, okay, she could be talking about, um, the grass but really this poem is about peace you know so I like I remember even at a young age being obsessed with trying to like you know disguise what I really meant and creatively express it you know to to just make people think and so I think over time 
I've gotten better at doing that in a less obvious and more creative way. Um, yeah, that's really <laughs> the biggest thing. I think I've just gotten better with, with words and, and using them. Um, okay. Using them in a way to be artistic and express like the poetry of it what, without like hiding the meaning, the meaning of my poems totally. Cause I will say mm -hmm. like, for a while, like when I let certain people read my poems, they would say like, okay, I'm completely lost. I have no idea what you're trying to say, you know? So I think mm -hmm. I've gotten better at not um, limiting myself creatively, but being able to still be creative and express myself while making sure people get it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was just sitting here thinking about like how much it takes to be able to one, like acknowledge that your own feelings, emotions, things that you're going through are valid, but then to put them down on paper and uh, let other people read them or to recite them out loud and let other people he hear them, like how much vulnerability that really takes. Yeah. And so first question um, is just like, do you ever feel like you ever in growing up struggled with this idea of vulnerability or letting people in or do you feel like you know at 10 years old that really was the jump off like listen I'm about to say exactly how I feel y'all gonna get it regardless like what what does that have been like for you that is so ironic that you would ask me that because I really I've I told my friends the other day like one thing about me you gonna know how Kiani feels about something like people closest <laughs> to me I don't really I'm kind of an open book. Like I'm, I'm opinion. I have a strong opinion. And so I don't think I've ever had a problem being vulnerable to the people I felt like I needed to be vulnerable to. It's just that yeah. once I put that in front of a mic for people who totally don't know me, that's mm -hmm. where I get a little, you know, anxious because mm -hmm. I'm a very guarded person. You know, mm -hmm. I, I like, to keep my business to myself, you know, or, <laughs> you know, whoever is relevant needs to be involved in my business, if that makes sense. And, um, I'm very protective of like my life and my space, if that makes sense. So when I mm -hmm. have to share my art, it's like, it's scary because I'm letting people into my mind, you know, right. my most vulnerable mm -hmm. state. And so, um, that's what I mean, like by, over time developing my writing um, to where people could get it because I think I had spent a lot of years even though I was writing and releasing I was still trying to hide certain feelings within my poetry because you know I just didn't want to be that exposed mm -hmm. and so over time I have grown to just let that vulnerability loose because people need it for healing because I need it for healing mm -hmm. and you know my testimony or my, my perspective needs to be, needs to be said. That's part of my role in this world is to, you know, talk about my perspective. And so like the same thing, that's a part of my personality to be guarded is this is the thing that God is using to help me inspire people around me. And I, I battle with that constantly because there's so many roles within my life that I'm so insecure about, mm -hmm. like being a mother like being a strong black woman. And I feel mm -hmm. like in my writing, I just, 
especially this next book, it is so open, it's so vulnerable. And I'm just terrified, like, because <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I want people to think that I'm perfect or a certain way. It's just that, you know, it's just scary to reveal your flaws. You know, it, it's mm -hmm. scary to to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm effed up too. You know, I messed up too. <laughs> Baby. You know, so. Yeah. I think it's so, I, you hit so many nails <laughs> just then because like Sabrina and I always talk about like, even when we were first developing the UP, we were kind of just like, oh my gosh, we don't want to tell anybody. We don't want to like, put it out there just yet, it's very hard to put your work out there, you know, whether it be poetry, whether it's research, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I, I guess my question from that would be, because you have so many of these roles in your life um, that you might be feeling insecure about or might feel insecure about sharing them, how have you found that balance to do it all and still, and still push forward to put your work out, even though you are balancing a host of other things that you're, you know, maybe not feeling so confident about. Ooh, child. I don't, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm balancing it well. Like, oh, I'm, I'm still figuring it out. I really am. Like, I don't know. I just have to look back and thank God. Um, and I really, uh, I'm about to get vulnerable y'all. I just please do. <laughs> I really downplay like the things that I've done and accomplished while dealing with so much personally. Like, and mm -hmm. I don't know why I do that. I guess because like I don't know. I I expect a lot out of myself. Like I have mm -hmm. really, I'm really, really hard on myself, mm -hmm. and it's kind of hard to like accept the fact that I'm I'm balancing it. You know, so that's even difficult to answer because I feel like I'm I'm not. But I I don't know. There's something. Um, there's a quote that Kanye West um said in one of his songs, and he was like, "Um, for me, giving up is way harder than trying." And I just feel like when I heard that line as a kid, I was like, "Yeah, I feel that." Like yeah. even though life gets hard as hell, like I don't know why giving giving up is just not something that sits right with me you know like I I encounter these challenges and my natural instinct is to jump on top of it and figure it out and get through it and for example in undergrad um I unexpectedly got pregnant with my first son um mm -hmm. Christopher and I found out the summer before my senior year at UAB mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. my instinct was after I decided to keep him, first of all, because that's real. Mm -hmm. um, it is. I was about to say, choices, sis. Girl. <laughs> real Listen, life decisions. I, you know, that was that was a whole process in and of itself. But once I realized, okay, I'm going to keep him, um, I went to my guidance counselor or the whatever counselor, academic counselor, mm -hmm. and I was like, mm -hmm. okay, look, I have like this many hours left, how can I do this, you know, and still graduate on time? Because Christopher was due in January and I was set to graduate in May. And um, I had to take, I had to take some extra classes basically in the summer in order to stay on track or I would have 
ended up um, staying at UAB a lot longer. So basically I took on a big ass load that first semester. So um, that fall semester, I took on like hella hours because once I had Christopher, I wanted to make sure that I didn't have that much on my plate, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that last semester. And then, you know, I had to do a senior recital. I had to do all these papers. Like I ended up doing my capstone stuff in that mm-hmm. fall semester so that like they let me do that because I would, when I had the baby, I was not going to be able to, you know, um, be on campus as much and stuff. So mm-hmm. they let me switch that. But I was literally eight months pregnant doing my senior recital. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I don't know if y'all have ever seen my instrument in undergrad. Cause I kept that low key. Cause I was kind of embarrassed by it, but it was a bass clarinet and it's a big ass instrument. So I was about to say, I don't think I ever knew <laughs> or saw that. Yeah, I don't think I did. <laughs> I don't know if y'all can look up what a bass clarinet looks like, but literally it's shaped like a saxophone, but it sits on the floor. So it's like, it's huge. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's heavy. So my big pregnant ass would be in the music building <laughs> dragging that big ass instrument. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not supposed to be carrying heavy stuff, but I did. You and did. Yeah. I'd have to go to, um, you know, my, um, my rehearsals and stuff and practice and, you know, it just, it was hard. My whole point Mm -hmm. in saying that is it was hard. And that was one of the moments in my life where I feel like, you know, when you talk about balance, I don't, I don't know how I balanced that because Mm -hmm. I was dealing with a lot emotionally with the relationship I was in and out of being pregnant for the first time, you know, it was just so much. And I just remember, um, Christopher, I, I was so stressed out that pregnancy that um, I went into my doctor's appointment. Um, you know, at a certain point in your pregnancy, you start going every week. So he was due like January 19th or something like that. I went into the doctor January 5th for a regular checkup and they told mm-hmm. me your blood pressure is way too high and we're going to give it one hour. If it doesn't go down in one hour, we're taking him out today. So I'm freaking out. What? Because like that's supposed I'm to make like, your blood pressure calm down. <laughs> I mean, I have to do that in 60 minutes, sir. Girl. <laughs> what? Like, first time mom, like, I was freaking out. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. we don't have, only thing we had set up was the crib. We mm-hmm. didn't have any diapers. We didn't have, I didn't have anything, y'all. So my mm-hmm. parents, like, raced up to Birmingham from Huntsville. And, like, because long story short, like, um, my blood pressure didn't go down. They had to take him out. And so, um, that was actually the same day that, uh, classes started Mm. at UAB for that semester. So I'm in labor going through contractions, emailing my professors, like, look, I'm in labor. (laughs) I need two weeks. I need y'all to give me two weeks to just get my shit together. And I promise, like, I'm going to catch up on everything and I'll be on it. And I did, I did. And I actually didn't even take the two weeks. I took a week and then I just jumped right into my classes Yanni. and I finished that <laughs> what? Black woman for another win. Cause what? I was about to say, what? <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I don't know guys. I don't know. Uh, that was hard. 
And like, I look back on moments like that and I graduated on time and I made a 4.0 that semester as well. Mm. I don't, I don't know. That was God. (laughs) That was God. It was God. I tell y'all what, don't y'all ever question the power of black women. Okay. Ember. Mm -hmm. And it's so crazy because it's just like, you look up one day and realize you're just doing it. Like you don't ever really remember how you got there or like how you said, like, you don't really know how you're balancing it all. But I feel like in my own life, as I reflect over things, I think like, how did I make it through that? (laughs) Like, how was I juggling everything and staying sane? And like, how am I on the other side now able to reflect on it? And it's so sad because like, I feel like they, society is so hard on black women. We get so much shit. Yeah. And I think because of that internally, like, I never feel like I'm doing enough. Like. That's why when you Mm -hmm. ask me how I'm balancing, I'm like, girl, I'm never balancing it. Like, but then you have to reflect and look on moments in your life where like, you know, you went through something and got through it. And it's like, it's, it's godly. It it really is Mm -hmm. because I I don't know. I don't know how I, how I did it. I don't know. And it's like, even my whole, my whole time at UAB, I felt like was just a battle because um, and most people don't know. I lost my father my first semester at UAB. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. He died uh, September 30th. So like, you know, wow. I'm out of wow. the house for the first time. Um, My dad had been sick for years, but it wasn't he wasn't sick to the point where the death would have been expected. And mm-hmm. so even then, you know, I almost I almost lost myself that that year, you know, and I just feel like every every new thing I venture into in my life, or if I'm if I'm on the cusp of like finishing a degree, there's always some huge challenge in my life. Like, and the only thing that that has gotten me through it is God, truly, truly. Wow. Wow. Yeah, all of that I, is. Funny that you say that because I think Sabrina and I have this conversation a lot about like how we really don't even see that we balance it and we did it all until we get through it and we're just like, wow, I did that. <laughs> like, wow, I can I can really do that. And um I I don't know, I feel like a lot of black women, especially around this age now, are going through that where it's kind of just like, dang, we're really adults. Um, and I'm really having to balance all of this and I don't know how, but somehow we do. So thank you for being vulnerable with it. That was <laughs> it, it it made me start thinking about a lot of stuff that I'm having to balance as well. Yeah. And I feel like we have to, as black women, because nobody else does, we have to celebrate mm-hmm. ourselves. We have yeah. to, we yeah. have to, even the small victories, you know, and my friend mm-hmm. April is so, you know, on me about that, you know, like Kiani, you've accomplished this, that, and the third, like, let's sit mm-hmm. in that. Let's celebrate mm-hmm. that, you know, like, mm-hmm. because that's like, for me, I don't know about y'all, but it's like, once I do something, it's like, I'm on to the next thing. Like, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't know what that's about. I don't know if, if I just place value in, in that, or if I don't know, but it's just like, I always feel like I need to be doing something instead of just resting in what I've done and celebrating it, you know, and being at peace with mm-hmm. that. Cause mm-hmm. even my first book, you know, um, like Sabria, when she, I think she shouted me out one day, like, 
I think you shouted me out like that. You oh, were a slice it. of pie. Huh? When um, are you talking about when I posted about a slice of pie? Yeah, yeah, and you had you were like rereading it, and that just really touched me because I was like, "Wow, Girl. like my book has affected somebody <laughs> to where they want to pick it up twice." Like, listen, you, <laughs> Ty will, Ty can tell you, and my other friends can tell you words. Listen, I can't even really describe it. Words hit me just in a different way. Um, same. And so picking it up a second time, I don't even remember like what I was feeling during that time, but picking it up then and rereading it and going through some of the poems, I was just like, listen, (laughs) I don't know if y'all haven't heard about this or what y'all doing, (laughs) but (laughs) please pick it up, buy a copy. You're so sweet. I appreciate that. I really do. Serious. And I think like, as you, you know, as we're talking, like, it is so hard to just pause and to pat ourselves on the back. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's something that black women have always done, just like always felt this constant um need to achieve certain things or get to the next level. Um, and I feel like that's just a feeling that has been passed down through the generations, but I'm glad that we're now sort of entering this phase of our life um, in society where we are all really trying to pause and celebrate those small victories and just take a breath and know that it's okay to take a breath. Know that we still have like the world and everything that we're trying to juggle like in place. We still have control even if we pause and even if we rest. Um, Because it's child life is stressful (laughs) it is it is and it's like we're not we're not god we're not superhuman we need rest right and my next book is actually going to be dedicated to black women specifically i believe all women of course you know can relate they're going to be able to relate but this book is for black women let's go ahead and jump into that um Let's just go ahead and jump into the works because I am so interested to hear more about Spilled Milk. Um, I know you recently, not too long ago, released Hot Chocolate. And I tell you, I tell you, Hot Chocolate took me away. (laughs) (laughs) It took me away. And usually when Sabria and I like run into things on Instagram or, you know, whatever social media that we know will touch the other, we'll send it to each other. I saw Sabria um, had liked it already. So I was like, mm, let me go ahead and like, listen to this. Listened and immediately called Sabria afterwards. Cause I was like, girl, did you, did you hear? Did you see? I was like the, the audio to the visual. Like I, I can't, I can't, it was so good. Y'all are gassing me. <laughs> Listen, listen, (laughs) hold on, pause, pause, listen. You are a powerful Black woman, Kiani, and you just, I know that you don't really understand how your words impact people, but your work and your vulnerability and the things that you're giving to the world is just like all so necessary. Like we gassing, but sis, if you knew, if you knew. (laughs) (laughs) like if you understood this shit is needed y'all are so absolutely (laughs) i'm humbled 
And it's it's crazy because I got to stop playing. I really do because like Jill Scott had, had said something the other night with, when she was on live with Erica talking about like mm-hmm. how writers, we need to just let that shit go. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Like, and I, hot chocolate. I've been holding on to that poem since 2017, y'all. Like, oh, wow. I wrote that about a chocolate boy in 2017. And <laughs> three years later, you know, I, you know, I have people messaging me about how much they like it. And I'm just like, I really, and I'm sitting on so much poems, y'all. Like, why am I, why am I keeping it to myself? You know, like, mm-hmm. and, and even like, um, so spilled milk came about actually right after I released a slice of pie. Mm-hmm. I wrote the first poem for spilled milk. And mm-hmm. initially it was going to be like an, an Instagram book um, where I was just going to like put it on my Instagram page and just make it mm-hmm. like a book that people can always go to my page and read through like by post by post. And mm-hmm. I was just going to release it like that. But um, and I actually had started to do it. Um, and I don't know. I just, people steal so much like intellectual property on the internet. I just wasn't comfortable with that being the form. Cause like when you release things on Instagram, it becomes theirs and stuff. So I, I wanted mm-hmm. to get, you know, copyrighted and stuff. So I made sure I got my credit for it. So mm-hmm. I decided to just go ahead and make it into a, into a book. So it's, it's been three years in the works and it's, and all of my, my stuff is literally like personal like things that I go through and I'm still like this book, the whole theme of the book, I'm still going through it. Like this is something I'm experiencing right now. You know, all the poems in this book are directly relevant to my life. Cause what I will say about a slice of pie is, you know, that's, those poems are really old. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are from high school uh, wow. or right when I got to UAB. Cause that's when I started waking up at three fourteen. So some of them are from freshman year at UAB. And that's like, you know, like eight years ago. So Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to kind of relate to this book, you know, now. Because Mm -hmm. it's like lessons that I've learned, you know, heartbreak that I've healed from. But like this next book, though, this is like real shit. (laughs) Real shit. We love real shit. That means we really like (laughs) Black women. Yeah. Come on with it. I'm excited. I'm really excited. Ty and I have already pre-ordered. For spilled milk so get your copy people get your copy um I do want to touch on the band that you're a part of because I had no idea that you also sang you really do it all Kiani <laughs> so this this band it came about very organically um I have a friend named Destiny that I've been friends with since middle school. And um, she's one of the people growing up that I would have shared my art with here and there, my poetry. And so we've kind of reconnected in the past few years and she also sings. So we've just always been like friends through the art forms. Um, And last year around September, we were at um, an open mic together and she had joked about getting on stage. And I was like, okay, girl, if you get on stage, I'll get on stage. And so then um, when we went to go sign up, she kind of got a little nervous about going up by herself. And so 
I asked her, I said, what song are you thinking about singing? And she said, Killing Me Softly by Lauryn Hill. And I said, well, I actually have a poem that I wrote, you know, based off of that song. So why don't we just try to do it together? You know, just just do it together. (laughs) And so she was like, okay, cool. And literally, like, there was a live band there and we just told them the song and they they played it and we performed to it. And um, a lot of people were like either on live or they recorded us and put us on their stories. So um, some local people who do like event organizations reached out to me um, and were just like, hey, I saw y'all's open mic performance and we would love to have you guys come perform. So then she and I started getting like booked locally. (laughs) It was just Awesome. It was just crazy to us because we're like, we literally, that was for fun, you know, but it was so yeah. organic. It, And we, we literally, before we got on stage, we stepped out of the venue and practiced one time and then got on stage and did it. And it, it looked and felt like we had done it our whole lives together. And so from there, um, the drummer of Untitled as Fuck, Michael, he saw us at one of the events we did because he is in another band with somebody else. And so he approached us and was just like, hey, would y'all be interested in starting a band? And we were like, hell yeah. Cause like at that point, she and I had decided to take our group seriously and we were performing a lot and we were just having a lot of shitty shows to be honest, because, you know, either the band just wasn't vibing with us that we were um, performing with or like the audio kept messing up. So we had decided, okay, we're not performing anymore until we have a live band with us. And then he approached us. And so he found a pianist, a guitarist, a bass guitarist. And we started rehearsing in January. And the only thing that's been putting us on hold is this quarantine. Mm. But we we have some original songs that um, we need to record and stuff. So I, I don't know. It's 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 still very fresh and new, you know, for me. But um, I'm excited about it. I'm excited. I'm excited to unify. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I'm excited to like hear the original songs, hear y'all's performance. And I'm like trying to picture myself in the per- first performance that um, you and your friend did together. And I'm just like, wow, I wish I was there because it sounds like it was. Right. <laughs> I was like, what we need. Right, right. Um, okay, so yeah, y'all. Grab these words, grab a slice of pie, go ahead and pre-order spilled milk. Um, I'm super excited for all of these words. Can't wait to hear about it. Um, so just thinking about like you are, as I just said a few minutes ago, a true artist. Like you're doing a little bit of everything. Um, so how has tuning into yourself and your writing um, helped shape the person you are um, and also the type of mother you are and how you connect with your children, how you connect with your overall life in general. Um, what, what writing forces me to do is be real with myself um, and my feelings and my, I, I, I spend a lot of time in introspection just naturally because I'm writing from within as it is. And so one thing I think I do really well is calling myself out, you know, when I'm, when I'm messing up, when I'm, you know, when I need to fix something about myself, I'm able to like really dig deep and figure out at the core, what, what is hurting me? What is, what is causing me to act in this way or feel this way? 
Um, cause being, being a writer, being an artist, the way that I am, I'm very emotional, very, very emotional. I feel everything. Mm-hmm. I'm, I feel other people's pain as well. And sometimes mm-hmm. I take that on, but I, I also think it's a strength because it, I, I genuinely care about the world around me and the people around me. You know, I can meet somebody once and I genuinely have a love for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that when people meet me, they feel that. And my kids can feel that, you know, that that love. And, and it translates into how I parent and how I teach as well, because I'm a teacher. So I'm able to connect with my students even on a on an emotional level because I I think they just read that I genuinely care. And so um writing has just allowed me to be the best version of myself and always working towards that because mm-hmm. I'm always looking within. I'm always looking inwards. You know, mm-hmm. and checking me and making sure um you know I'm a, I'm aligned and my intentions are right. You know? Mm-hmm. So so you mentioned um, about having to call yourself out. And I think that's so interesting because over the past, like over the past few years, I think um, both since Sabria has been in DC and I've been here, Sabria and I have been talking a lot about having to really get honest with yourself and call yourself out of your mm-hmm. bullshit because a lot of times it's not other people doing the bullshit. It's us sometimes too. Um, how did you get to the point where you were able to identify when you needed to be like radically honest with yourself. Like, how did you get to the point with willing to just accept, like, you know what? No girl, you got to get your shit together. Because I think sometimes that can be really, I know like a few years ago, that was really hard for me, but I feel like I'm kind of the same way now where I'm just able to call myself out on my bullshit and just accept, accept it for what it is. Now, how do I move forward? So how, how are you able to do that? Like when, when was it that you, realize that you had to start doing that for yourself honestly y'all it 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 is all encompassed in spilled milk i just literally sit sat here and realized that like because the whole concept of the book is like you know they say don't cry over spilled milk Mm -hmm. like i had to let go of so much shit that i was just holding on to and crying over and letting just weigh me down emotionally and spiritually and mentally Mm -hmm. and i feel like all of these things were happening to me and I was looking at it from the wrong perspective. Like, Mm. Oh my God, Mm. I'm such a genuine person. Like, why are people doing me like Mm. this? Why am I hurting like this? Wow. And and, and I had to, I like, I had to get to the point where I realized, okay, if I'm going to keep this mindset about what I'm going through, I'll never get, I'll never move. I'll never grow. I'll never get better. I'll never be happy. I'll never have peace. I'll never have joy. Mm you know, and I had to build Kiani back up, you know, I had to, because, um, one of the mantras I say to myself daily is no one is responsible for my emotions and feeling except for me. Okay. Even if they hurt me, even if they, Mm -hmm. you know, even if they tore me down, even if they're Mm -hmm. the reason why I'm hurt, like I'm responsible for healing and I can't Mm -hmm. put that on anybody else. And that has helped me really, really grow emotionally because I'm no longer looking for somebody to apologize or treat me a certain way in order to feel like I can move on and grow from something. It's, it, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
one of my poems talks about how there's more milk in the fridge. There's yeah. like, you know, <laughs> let me write this down. <laughs> Like, I feel like I spent, y'all, I've spent so many years, especially in undergrad, Mm. crying over niggas. Mm. (laughs) Like, (laughs) and it's like, (laughs) (laughs) listen, I'm just like, girl, like, do you realize who you are? Like, do you Mm. really realize who Kiani is? Like, and if I really knew who I was, like, I would be unstoppable. And so I'm striving to be that woman because the woman that is so fragile and, and gets, I mean, gets my feelings hurt by these, by these niggas and all of that. Like Mm -hmm. it just, it was just such a weight on me. And I just feel like, um, I just spent way too much time trying to clean up, trying to just mourn over this milk that was already spilled and spoiled. Mm. And, you know, I had to get to the to the cleaning up stage and then realizing that there's way more milk in the fridge, way more. And I supply it myself. You feel me? It comes from wow. me, wow. you know? So, yeah. <laughs> I'm just sitting over here, <laughs> speechless, <laughs> speechless, because listen, as Ty has said, we have definitely been going through this period of life of really checking ourselves and um, checking our emotions. And as you said, like trying not to make people responsible for them. Mm -hmm. I think that is the hardest thing or one of the hardest things that I've just had to deal with and accept. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just like at the end of the day, you know, I have to be the person that heals myself. Mm -hmm. I have to be the person that remembers that I'm in control regardless of the situation. And I think it's so easy to put that work on other people, especially when you're hurt. Um, But I feel like I've been finding that I feel so much better when I do take accountability for my actions and I'm able to look back and say, oh yeah, I got through that. Like I didn't put it on anyone else to um, do the work for me. Was it tough? Yes. (laughs) Is it still tough? Yes. But um, I don't know. I think there's so much power in you saying that getting to the point of the cleanup stage in your life like that is that's some real work. That is some real work. It is. And it's like even within that, I've had to teach myself that it is okay to take my time with cleaning it up because Mm -hmm. the acknowledgement that I got to be the one to clean it up is good. You know, that is a start because I can't expect even though we do have people in our lives that will come and help us clean up and, and get better and maybe even pour us the milk out the fridge, you know, but we have to be the ones initially to say, I got to clean myself up. I got to get this milk up, you know? Yeah. And I just, one of my poems talks about how certain milk just got stuck in my carpet and started stinking. And I'm still sitting there crying over it. Like, sis, clean it up. Right. Come on, like <laughs> get up. Freshen your place, clean up, sis, because, you know, it. this is my home. You know, this is my body, my mental space. This is my space. And I should be the most comfortable here. And I shouldn't let someone else, someone else's pain sit within me, you know, like, or the pain that someone else caused me to just sit and, and grow and make me into this bitter person. Like, no, 
I have to, I have to clean that up. And, and even in that, I had to give myself, um, time to clean mm-hmm. up, you know, because healing is a process. It is not to be rushed. You know, when, when you do it right, it takes time. And so, um, it's also important to, to clean up what you need to, when you're ready to, mm. you know, I was, I was just about to comment on the fact that I'm so glad that you said that it has time or that it takes time because, um, sometimes I think a common misconception that I know, like when I went through, I mean, over the course of my life, I've been through a lot, but when I think about, um, something that really, really, really broke my heart, um, and, and, you know, made me feel like I was completely lost and I was completely broken. Um, what I tried to do was rush through that healing process. And then it came right back around and slapped me the fuck in the face and was like, yeah, no, ma'am, you are not, you have not dealt with this in the way that you're supposed to. And so I think something that's come up for me, um, and even some of my friends, I think has come up that you are allowed to feel how you feel about whatever it is. And you need to feel that so that you can work through that, not just get over it. You need to feel it so that you can work through what those feelings are. Why was it, you know, how was this caused? How can I work on this next time? How can I move through this the next time that this happens so that I'm not hung up for years and years and years at a time? And then I wake up 30 years from now and I'm still very hurt and very much bitter about something that I I did not heal from. Um, so I'm so glad that you mentioned that it takes time because I definitely, I definitely agree with that sentiment. Yes. Yes. And that's an important aspect in the healing process, because like you said, it'll come back around and beat your ass again. <laughs> <laughs> like, you got to do the work that you should have done like five oh. years ago on top of the work in the last five years. It, it's, it's, a lot. Mm-hmm. it's a lot. And it's sad because I feel like, um, unfortunately, a lot of the black women around me, as powerful as we are, I feel like um, they weren't given the space to heal because especially as a single black mother, we have to just keep going, mm-hmm. keep going, keep going. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because the weight of the world really is on our shoulders sometimes, you know, like, and in one of my poems, it's really short, but it, it, it just says, how many times does black women have to be black and a woman for everybody but mm. herself? Ooh. Because, you know, we have white feminists Ooh. demanding us to stand for them, but they don't stand for us. And we stand for black men. Talk and about they it. don't really stand for us the way we stand for them. And we're out here just being, everybody is demanding us to just run for them and fight for them and protest for them. But literally we're the only ones fighting for ourselves. So when it comes mm-hmm. to us literally healing ourselves, we don't have the energy yeah. for it. I feel sometimes because mm-hmm. we're so busy fighting the world or fighting for the world. And mm-hmm. I feel like generationally, I really want us as black women to change our mind frame, you know, and it's not selfish to think of ourselves first. It's just that we really can't pour from an empty cup. You know, and it's like we have so much on us and on top of that, we still save everyone else. And it's like, no, we need to start with ourselves. And how much more powerful will we be when we are yes. strength for ourselves? Yes, first? you took that right out of my mouth. I'm like, if this mm-hmm. is what we can do for y'all mm-hmm. under stress and trauma, generational trauma, all of these things, imagine mm-hmm. the work that we can do to support y'all. After, after we've healed ourselves, right. after we've, you know, replenished mm-hmm. ourselves, fed ourselves, 
it's tenfold for you after that. <laughs> like honestly, honestly, it may seem selfish in a sense, but it's necessary for your own preservation as a human being, as a woman. Like it is necessary. We can't continue to exhaust ourselves and strain ourselves for the world and have nothing left to give. Absolutely. And one thing I think men do really well is they, men set boundaries, Mm -hmm. okay? They set boundaries and they do not let folks cross Mm -hmm. them because they're taught for that. But see, we're taught to like always make sure everybody is good and taken care of and Mm -hmm. fed and make the man's plate. You know, we're just we're just naturally taught to make sure things around us are working first before us and men mm-hmm. kind of get to worry about themselves first which is why you know a lot of young girls are trained to want a husband versus men wanting to be successful for themselves first you know and i just mm-hmm. think we need to adapt that we need to adapt that and and it emotionally like it's not good to not have boundaries like we just we we have to have boundaries for other people because they're not going to have them like for us, you know, like if we Mm -hmm. let people continuously cross boundaries, they're going to keep doing it. Right. We have to to set it up. Right. You have to take responsibility for yourself, period. First. Exactly. And that's what I mean in spilled milk of just getting to the healing. Like I had, we have to do that ourselves because they're going to keep running us rampant, you know, right. if you let them. Right. Nobody's going to stop and say, oh, Black women are working too hard. Never. Let's, let's, you know, oh, girl. Never. <laughs> and the thing Never. That I also like that you mentioned is that men do that no problem, and they do it no problem without caring who likes it or not. And I feel Ooh. like that's something that we do have to adapt. Like, it's not, it's not anything personal towards you, but it just doesn't fit with you know with what i have going on and how i need to feed myself first before i feed you so you know this is the boundary whether you like it or not that's up to you if not see you later we definitely need to adopt that as we're talking i just keep imagining you know how you go um to take a flight and the flight attendants are going through the instructions of like how to keep yourself safe. If the plane goes down, you have to do this. I just kept imagining the instructions where it's talking about, you know, putting your mask on first before helping others. And that is just something, as you said, like we really just don't do as black women. Like we don't, we really will or have gotten to the point where we will suffer in silence as long as everyone else is okay. Um, And so I'm just like grateful to be able to have this space, the UP, Brown Coffee, Black Tea, and just like circles in which um, I can connect with other Black women. We can have these conversations and really just empower each other and let let each other know that, you know, like this is important. Building each other up, building ourselves up is important and it's necessary. And we literally can't move on. We can't function. We can't evolve as Black women, as beings, unless we start doing this now. Um, So just as a thank you (laughs) midway through to y'all for just having this conversation today, because I think that it's been really um, filling for me. I definitely agree. I feel like it's pretty much, at one point you said that it's important that 
we highlight black women and that's a part of what spill milk milk is about for you um and i think that's a part of why like sabria and i started the up we wanted to create a, a platform where black women were celebrated and where we also got to speak about our traumas and our experiences, both good and bad. So one help us like see the other black woman inside of us and then to better see ourselves because we're all connected and we deserve to celebrate that because we are spending time celebrating a lot of other people. So um, that really resonated with me in terms of why we even created this platform in the first place. So I'm with Sabria, thank you. Thank you so much for having this conversation. Oh, I, I appreciate y'all. Like that, the episodes I've heard have been healing for me because of y'all's vulnerability and realness. Like, and that's hard to do. I'm um, like giving you an air hug right now. Get on. I know. But I really, I really think that things like, like UP, this is the solution. You know, we've talked a lot about the problem. This is the solution. Spilt milk, the solution. We have to encourage and teach one another, hey, girl, you have your own milk in the fridge. You need to clean up, you know, or have platforms where we can be vulnerable like this and heal each other and support one another because that's what it's mm-hmm. going to take. You know, it, there has to, we have to stop the cycle, you know, and I have a poem um, in my book called Superwoman and I'll read it because it's short. And I said, um, to spend the day fighting the world with both fists and then come home and fight with my fist and my pussy and my heart too is a detriment, is a sorrow song, is a war I won't lose myself in. And mm. I I just remember mm. feeling like, okay, on the job, I'm working my ass off and getting shitted on. When I get home, I'm working my ass off and I'm getting shitted on. And you know, that's it. And I just was like, hell no, I am not Mm going to wake up and be 45 or 65 and feel this way. I'm not. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's part of me feeling like we got to take care of Mm -hmm. ourselves because that's what I'm doing. I'm, 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 I'm fighting the world. I'm coming home. I'm fighting to take care of everybody else. And then at the end of the day, I'm drained and, and I lose myself in that. And I feel like a lot of our a lot of the black women around me did, you know? And so the solution is we, we got to stop. We got to stop. And, Mm -hmm. you know, creating these platforms for ourselves to be able to be vulnerable and, and discuss it and heal and go to therapy. All of that is a part of the solution. All of it. Wow. Wow. I'm so glad that we were able to, also get to the point of thinking about real solutions, like how we actually get through this. Um, and something that Ty and I like to do on every episode is set intentions for the upcoming week, months, our lives. Um, just setting some intentions about, you know, what it is we'd like to see for ourselves, for other Black women. So let's go ahead and do that now. <laughs> Um, Yanni, you know, if you have any intentions for the upcoming week, any advice for Black women, you know, what would that be? Or what would those things be? Um, immediately self-care comes to mind, but not in like the, the very, uh, commercialized way. Like, 
actual self-care, like sitting with yourself and checking on yourself. That's what I'm going to just do this week. I'm going to check on me. You know, I'm going to pause from the kids, from the man, all of that, and just look inward and take time and just write from how I feel, you know, just how am I right now? How am I really doing, you know? And yeah, just intentionally checking on me first before I start my day, before I do anything for anybody else, how am I? And that could be, you know, reading my Bible, praying, I don't know, but just intentionally making time for myself. And, and literally, like we said, setting that boundary, like nobody can get in this space. If it's the first hour of my day, uh, nope, don't enter the room. I need this time, you know, instead of feeling like I got to do for everybody else first. Well, thank you so much, Kiani. Um, I know we've said thank you like five million times, but <laughs> thank you so much um, for being on the show today. Well, thank you all for inviting me. I'm so humbled by you. No problem. And for everyone listening, um, I hope from this episode, you all have been able to really pick up some really dope gems that Kiani has dropped today. And remember, being self-aware means absolutely nothing if you aren't willing to do the work. And as we always say, We've got our shit and you do too. Now clean that shit up. Bye y'all. Bye.